I'm going to read out of Amos chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire into the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made Pleiades and Orion, and turns deep darkness into the morning, and darkens the day into night. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth? The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain for, from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, and you, have not, and you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord God of hosts will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Thank you, Daniel. Well, good morning, Riverside. How are you feeling this morning? I, I had somebody tell me this week that said, man, Amos has been beating me up. And as the person who has to preach this morning, let me tell you, Amos has been beating me up. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Jay Will. I'm the church plant resident here. Um, we're in the process of planting City of Refuge in the Eau Claire community. And I'm also over the Eau Claire small group. Uh, if you're interested in finding out anything about our small group and also our church plant efforts, please catch me off the church. But I'm so excited to be before you declaring the Lord's words one more time. Um, we're continuing on in our sermon series, Worship and Justice and Worship. Last week, James preached about how Amos, the Lord has been coming to God's people and declaring, come back to me, come back to me. I've done these things, I've tried to get your attention, but you did not listen. Today, he starts off kind of in a cry of, look to me and live. 
Look to me and find what you're looking for. Look to me as a place of worship so I can clarify everything in your life. And I believe this is a timely word for us today in this time and season where there's so many things fighting for our attention. God is also telling us, look to him. So before we jump to our text, if you wouldn't mind, could you pray with me real quick? Father, the days are wicked, the times are hard, but yet you are still a good God who sits on a throne. You have been crying out for eternities past and for eternity more, turn to you. Reject the ways of the evil and come back to the great king who establishes righteousness in the gates. I pray today that as we dive into this text, Father, that you would steer our hearts to look to you. Help us to be focused on you today. Even in my fragile abilities today, Father, in my, uh, in my broken words, I pray that you are shown as clean. You're the great king, Father. I pray that you stand strong today. Allow me to decrease and you increase, Father. Help us to set our focus and our attention on you so you can clear everything in our lives that we need to be clear, Father. We cast out all distractions all the issues of life right now, we cast those things down and come to you as a place of true worship. So Father, meet us here today. Let your spirit have reign today. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, like I was telling you, we're in the process of planting a church called City of Refuge. And one thing about church planting James can tell you and any other church plant can tell you, uh, early on, you're kind of a one-man army. You have to do everything. So right now, I've kind of been the person that did the graphic designing. Uh, We've been planning things, and I'm starting to, a team is starting to come together around us. But one of the things that I've started doing recently that I'm kind of enjoying is I've gotten into videography and photography a little bit. See, with videography and photography, one thing I had to learn very quickly is how to set my focus. You say, when you point your picture and you don't have the focus right, have you ever seen a distorted picture? Have you ever seen a a very blurry picture and be like, who is that? Who, Who exactly is that? Maybe if you haven't seen those, maybe you grew up like me and we watched these great movies called bootlegs. Bootlegs movies had very distorted images. You saw people walk across the bottom of the screen. It was dark. The picture was terrible. Just not very enjoyable. See, learning how to set your focus on the camera does one of two things. When you set your focus on the object that you're putting your focus on, it either brings everything in the picture completely into clarity. It brings everything into perfect focus or... It focuses in on the thing that's important and blurs everything else that I take away from the picture. Today in our text, God is telling his people where they should be setting their focus because their focus is on everything else and it seems that the picture, the, the life they're living is coming out very distorted. And as you, we go through this text today, you're going to see these, these continuous distorted tensions, this tension between law and righteousness, idolatry and true worship, and injustice and what true justice looks like. 
He's telling Israel, look to the one who really makes everything come together. Make the image clean. But it's interesting that it starts off in a very sobering tone. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. 1 through 3 with me. It says, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord, God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. So a lamentation is literally the song, the song of mourning, this grief song. It's a song that is sung when you have a close relationship with somebody, but they have died. And God is speaking this lamentation over Israel because of the destruction that's about to come on it. And he's looking at his once so weak nation that he said, you who were once a virgin and untouched and unblemished and that I had to protect, now I have to take my hands away. And destruction is coming upon you and no one will be able to save you. And then he said, Israel, you who were once, I made a strong and mighty army with, who was conquering many nations. Now, the nation that went out thousands come back limping with a few hundred. He's looking at them and he's actually looking in a sense of grief. The Lord is mourning the destruction that is about to come upon Israel and not by any means but their own. He's saying, you were my people that I set apart, that I had my hands on, that I covered and was blessing so tremendously. But because your focus has gone astray, my hands have gone away. I've stepped back, and the destruction is coming. But see, this isn't, God wasn't surprised that Israel had rebelled. Actually, he knew for sure that Israel would one day rebel. Just like he knew for sure that one day our hearts will also be steered away from him. Even us in the church, he knows that his people's hearts were so easily distracted. We're so easy to stray. But because of God's grace, he doesn't rush in to destroy. No, actually, God wants us all to return back to him, to set our focus back on him. Listen to what Peter says in chapter 2, I mean, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. So God has continuously been pursuing Israel. He's been sending prophet after prophet, telling them of the evil that they are doing, saying, your attention has gone astray from me. And he's been pursuing them, yet they kept rejecting his great and loving favor. And now they have an impending doom coming in. God is continuously pursuing us. He pursued us in his son. He saw us in our wickedness and our brokenness, how we were separated from him, yet he came to us. He didn't tell us to come to him. And we carry on in verses from four to six. It says, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. 
But do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. At least he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devours with none to quench it for Bethel. And God is saying, hey, I've been coming to you. Here is where you put your attention. This is where you set your focus. And for Israel, this is actually a very familiar thing to them. Because while he's saying, seek me and live, is very reminiscent to what he said when he gave their covenant in the beginning. When he took Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And they were in the wilderness. He put out these things called laws, and he said, this is how you seek me. This is how you worship me. This is how you say you act as my people. And then he told them the consequences of what happened if they didn't seek him, if they didn't worship. And it's kind of interesting, his consequences and the way he's telling them not to seek him are very similar. Let's look at Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Here's the familiar language of the covenant that he put before them. He said, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his way and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. So he told him, he said, when you put your focus on me, when I'm the center of of the focus, if I'm the center of your life, if I'm the true king who reigns over you, I'm a good king. I said everything clear. You won't have the distractions in your life. You will have a fullness of this fullness that just reproduces throughout your life. And he was saying the same thing in Amos, like, Israel, seek me. You know this is where life is found. But then he turned around, he says, but do not seek in Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or go over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba have become these places of idol worship. And he's saying, You're going there saying you're doing it in my name, but honestly, that's worshiping idols. These things have distorted your image of who I truly am. And he's saying this to Israel, but it's so telling for today and age that we live in. We go so many other things saying we're doing it in the name of the Lord. In politics, we run to the Republican Party because that's God's party, right? And we say, we're doing this in the name of the Lord if we seek him in this place. And God's like, I'm not over that party. I mean, he is, but he's, that's not his place of worship. And don't worry, I'm not going to just pick on Republicans. We do it with the Democrats, too. Because Democrats say, well, we're trying to actually do righteousness and do good policy, good, do good practices, do good by the marginalized. And he's like, I'm not here either. They've distorted your views. They have led you away from me. You are putting all of your trust in these policies, and one day I'm going to stand over your government. It's going to stand under my feet. We have made these things which were not bad things, but we have made them God things. 
And he's saying, just like he said to Israel, when you seek me, you live. But back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 17 on, it says, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you should surely perish. You should not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. And don't hear this and say, oh, I must be talking about how America is a great nation. No, America is not God's quote unquote nation. We are not a Christian nation. America is another mission field where Christians should be engaging and trying to pursue and bring everyone in America to a worship, a true place of worship with Jesus. But we have started looking at America as the kingdom of God. It has become our idol. We have started looking to politics as where the kingdom laws are found. It has become our idol. And it is destroying the church. It is ripping us apart. And it's not just politics we're talking about. We do it in our lives, too. We look to our jobs. It becomes our idols. It becomes our source. And it leaves us with a bunch of stress. It leaves us broken. Or maybe for people like me, I look to my purpose in life. It has become my idol. And it leaves me laying awake at night with a lot of anxiety and broken, perishing because my heart is steered away by another great God. You could put your God in place. Whatever you think it is, just put it there. Same thing for you. But then God, he stands before Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and he stands in front of all of creation, and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offsprings may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to you, your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then, in Amos, he goes on and he tells what happens when our Attention goes astray. When God is not the center of our focus and worship, look at verse 7, 7 and, and 10 through 13 for me. In verse 7 it says, Oh, you turn justice to wood, and cast down the righteousness to earth. And then in verse 10 it says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you should not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you should not drink the wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy. Therefore, the needy in the gate, therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. He's saying when our worship has gone astray, 
Our justice becomes, goes astray. Our righteousness is cast down. And he used this very interesting word in verse 7, wormwood. Wormwood is this type of root that you would put, if you put it in water or you put it in something to drink, it actually becomes poisonous. He's like, you've made justice poisonous. What you call justice is actually broken systems. It's actually hurting the poor. It's trampling on the needy. It's systemic. He said, that's what you've done because your attention has run away to these other things, these other gods to solidify your power. Because I'm not your God. You have made justice wormwood. I think this is an appropriate moment to clarify exactly what justice is in the Bible. So justice is this uh, unique word called mishpah. Mishpah is found all throughout the Old Testament, and justice uh, is not necessarily laws right and wrong, but it's actually what, it, what creation should look like. I, I love this quote from Jessica Nicholas, who wrote, God loves justice, a user-friendly guide to biblical justice and righteousness. She said, Western views of justice are primarily focused on how things should be done, laws and rules, and what should happen when laws are broken. But in Hebrew thought, justice is focused on what life should be like. Justice in the Hebrew world was concerned not just with laws, but with enhancing all human life, especially the social world. So he's saying the justice that he is seeking is actually for the whole nation to flourish. As you flourish, everyone around you should flourish. We can actually look back to the laws he put in place of how we should handle our possessions. He said, hey, when you're going out to pick your crops, leave the hedges just so the poor and the marginalized can get a little bit. The alien can get a little bit. He's like, justice is not just concerned about you and not just concerned about right and wrong. Justice is concerned about the whole world flourishing. And he's looking at Israel and saying, and you were supposed to be the prime example of how that plays out. And today he's looking at the church and saying, you're supposed to be the prime example of how this plays out. But Israel was very religious, and today we are also very religious. But our religion only falls short on the show and not in how we live. The brother of Jesus, James, says it best in chapter 1, verse 26 through 27 of James. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religions, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and, vi and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Being unstained from the world doesn't mean we not, no longer are a part of the world, but actually we are the best part of the world. Jesus called it being light and salt. We're supposed to be the ones who are enhancing what the world is supposed to look like so that they look to us and say, man, they must have a great king. They must be a part of a great kingdom. How can I be a part of that? And God is pointing to all of their idols and how they're breaking away and how they are doing all these things and how judgment is coming. But then he pauses in verse 8 through 9, and it's interesting. He takes the attention off of them for a second, and then he said, now look to me. 
Listen to eight and nine. He said, he who made the palets in Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night. We call for the waters of the sea. Who calls for the waters of the seas and pours them out on the surface of the earth? The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress? He's saying, hey, I'm telling you the wrong you're doing. Now look at me. Do you understand who I am? The things that you're running to and worshiping, I created. The things that you hold up valuable are nothing before me. I hold galaxies. I hold universes. I created. Allow me to introduce myself. I am. He said, your attention is all over the place, but look who I am. Look at me. Pay attention to me because I'm the one that clears up what should be worship and what should be cast aside. What should we care for and what should we turn away from? Look at me because I am the only one that has clear sight. And it goes on in verse 14 through 15. So get prepared to land the plane. It says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I don't want you to walk away from here and think, okay, so I just got to do good things and I got to live right. But no, that's not what he's trying to tell you. He's saying, no, focus on me. I'm the one who helps you live good. I'm the one who helps you see what to do right. Look at me. So the question we should walk away is, well, how do we seek him? How do we look to him? The good news is we have someone to look towards that shows us exactly where this is found. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the Christ, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the the throne of God. If you want to know how you look to God, how we, dec- how we clarify our vision, how we see what is right to do, how we find justice and righteousness, look no further than the cross. Jesus is who we find these things. At the cross is where we see the intersection between justice, righteousness, and true worship is found. Jesus lifted on high a man who was unjustly unjustly crucified did it on our behalf. Taking the punishment that we rightfully deserve, and as him taking the punishment that we rightly deserve, he took off his righteousness and placed it on us taking all of our shame on himself, taking all of the injustice and iniquity that we have done on ourselves, clearing the picture up, wiping the lens, setting the focus so that we can see all of creation correctly because all of creation is under him, not above him. All of creation he holds in his hand. Look to Jesus. Look to him. 
Everything that you're looking to is leading you astray. Everything outside of him that you look to for answers leave you empty and wanting. Everything that I look to leaves me empty and wanting when I'm not looking at him. Look to him. And I know many of us might hear this and say, well, I understand that. I already, I'm a believer. I already looked to him, right? I already trust that, right? I mean, I got it. Jesus good, sin bad, we can go home. But it shouldn't be that easy to pass by Jesus. If it's that easy to pass by Jesus, more than likely we're not looking at him clearly. Let's run down to verse 16 and 17. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, the God, the, the great mighty army, the one who's over the army who's coming. He said, in all squares there should be wailing. In all, all streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and to the wailing, to the, those who are skilled in lamentation. And all vineyards there should be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. He's painting this picture of what happened when he came through, that came through Egypt when they didn't repent. And he brought mass destruction. And he's looking at us and saying, for all those who repent, who refuse to repent, all those who see Jesus as fire insurance to make sure you don't go to hell, I'm going to pass through this too, and judgment is coming. Jesus has this very terrifying verse that just sticks in the back of my mind all the time. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not profess in your name, prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Don't be so quick to say, I am looking to Jesus. Make sure that he is the king who rules over your life. Christians, every day we should be setting our focus back on the one who gives us clear vision. And for you who may have heard of Jesus, and he's a good guy, he's a good king, it's, it's sad when I heard uh, Barna put out a report the other day that says 33% of evangelicals don't see Jesus as God? That's terrifying. That's terrifying. That means we have almost 33% of Americans who consider themselves Christian running around saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't see him as king. They don't see him as Lord that rules their life and directs how they should live. Let that not be our testimony today. Let that not be us today. Seek Jesus. Look to him. So as I close, you know, I like to leave y'all with a little sticky note. Something to put on the bottom of your computer desk. Hopefully that this will continue to reverberate through your mind and help you remember where we should set our focus. Sticky note, set your focus on Jesus to see true righteousness. This is the only place we see true righteousness, not in our practices, not in our policies, not in our politics, not in this world, but only on, in Jesus do we see 
righteousness clearly. Today is your focus set. And what is it set on? Pray with me. Father, help us to set our focus on the right things, on the perfect works of your Son. We want to care about what you care about. We want to see the world how you see the world, Father. Help us to see that today. Help us to look to you as ambassadors of your kingdom, wanting to see a glimpse of your glory here on earth as it is in heaven. Help me for the times when I don't look to you and see you rightfully for who you are. We repent today for how often we run to so many other created things, hoping that it gives us answers. Help us today walk away and say, no, I'm looking to the one who created all things, knowing that he clears our sight. Help us to see a better picture of the world. Only in him do we find life. Pierce our hearts today, Father. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.